Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I welcome attorney Dave Rodman to the show. Dave founded the Rodman Law Group in 2014 in response to what he saw as a lack of sophisticated corporate and business law firms serving the cannabis industry because most only dealt on the criminal side and defense work. And from that moment, he found his own lane. In fact, he created it. And he has been tirelessly advocating for his clients, pushing for more equitable and transparent industry regulations, and facilitating complex multinational transactions ever since. Now, Dave's unique background in finance, securities, intellectual property, and corporate law has really given him an incredibly diverse set of tools to deploy on behalf of his clients, tools that allow him to craft solutions to each client's specific legal, business, and regulatory needs. And he definitely does not believe in a one-size-fits-all approach to the law. He's one of only a few lawyers in the world with active clients in both cannabis and cryptocurrency and blockchain markets. At the end of this episode, we touch on decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs and NFTs and also a little bit of securities. So this is a true legal eagle episode. It packs a punch and you will surely learn something because I know I did. Before we jump into the episode, take a moment to follow and then like, share, and comment so that others who would benefit from this content can find it. Also, I'm really excited to share this new opportunity with you. It's based on the success of my lifetime access self-guided courses and also high interest in the what's next step. After you have a solid foundation, what do you do next to build on it? So I'm in search of highly motivated students to participate in a short course, a cohort-based experience via a new online platform. I've partnered with the co-founders of Maven.com, Gagan Biani, previous co-founder of Udemy, and Wes Cow, previous co-founder at Alt-MBA. Right now, I'm testing course interest, so use the link in the show notes to weigh in on the topics you might be interested in learning more about. It'll only take one, two minutes tops, and I really want to hear from you. A little bit more about what the plan is for this course. If you participate, you would have access to live lectures, you'd meet amazing guest speakers, take part in practical projects, and meet other like-minded folks positioning themselves for a high-level advantage. This will be active, engaged learning alongside peers to give you actionable advice, strategies, and even more support beyond what already exists in a self-guided experience. And most importantly, we're going to have a lot of fun. We'll have fun as you build even stronger connections, community, and confidence. Again, use the link in the show notes for more information or visit advantageevans.com. Okay, time to listen, learn, and leverage. 
let's get started. Today, I am excited to welcome a new friend, someone who I met when we were doing a conference, the Sportico conference. We came together to talk sports and NFTs and securities. And I learned along the way that he had an incredibly rich, vibrant, and exciting practice. And so, particularly on Tech Intersect, when we have the heart of tech and business, law, and culture. It was really, really important that I have him come on and share some of the information that he did share with me, with my students, and certainly with the wider audience so that we could take a closer look at Colorado, cannabis, and crypto. So I welcome Dave Rodman, Colorado-based attorney, legal expertise in cannabis, industrial hemp, securities, intellectual property, and corporate law. He's the founder and managing partner of the Rodman Law Group. It's a boutique law firm in Denver, a place that I adore. So I want to talk about Denver too. Focusing on cannabis, business, distributed ledger technology, and the like. We'll talk about all of that and some of the interesting things that he's working on in his practice. Do all that in a moment. But first, Dave, welcome. Thank you, Diane. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, I had such a great time when we did Sportico and the time, as you and I both knew, it flew by, maybe even faster than we thought it would. And so I remember after that, we said, let's take this show on the road. Now, um, I'm fully vexed and ready to move freely about the country. And dare I say the world, I'm out of here very soon. <laughs> but at least we can connect virtually. And and first, I just want to check in with you now that, you know, the country is opening up and, and we certainly have our hotspots and considerations regarding virus, but how have you been over this past year? How has your practice been? And how are you feeling these days with better days ahead? Yeah, great question. Um, so we followed the shutdown order uh, right away in Colorado and started working remotely. My partner is back in the office pretty much full time. I am not. I'm maybe a quarter of the time back in the office. I've gotten kind of accustomed to some of the homework aspects. Yeah. Um, I think everybody in the office is now vaccinated. Maybe one person is still waiting on the second dose. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely looking forward to the ease of the restrictions. Mm -hmm. uh, have already, I went on, went on went to my first uh, like dinner and drinks with my wife uh, Friday, and it was, it was great, but it was mm -hmm. also, it was definitely a little weird trying to suppress some like of that new anxiety that we all developed. Yes. So it was a, it was a, it was a fascinating experience. I mean, I'm glad we did it and, and I can't wait to do more, but it was, there was this sort of hesitancy that, that I didn't expect that I would have. I mean, I, right. I knew that I was vaccinated. I knew that we were outside, but it got beat into me so much over the pandemic that it was, uh, took some getting used to. Absolutely. I completely empathize and understand as I prepare for international travel. And I feel like the plane is probably one of the more secure places because of their filtration system. I'm kind of worried about getting to it and making yeah. all of these. It's like, uh, this is where I'm going to park. I'm parking myself with like a, a range of things. And the idea of intellectually, I know, and I'm quite comfortable now from working out outside and where I live, there's just so much space. I know there's a, a lot of that in Colorado as well, but it's the fear of that one tenth of one hundredth of one percent and just getting the social anxiety out because I'm an only child and uh, perfectly happy with my own company. 
So I do really well in an at-home environment, but starting a new job in the middle of a pandemic and only going to my office one time in a year, I couldn't even find it if you paid me at this point. So I look forward to seeing the office that I've had for a year and didn't go in except for one time. That's, that's an interesting, <laughs> that's an interesting uh, uh, point. We had a, a new hire right before the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. Then we had a, and, and she ended up leaving us and we had a, a hire like in December. So what my partner and I sort of felt was that we were not equipped to, you know, we've all known it. My, the, the senior attorney and my partner and I have known each other for de- a decade at this point. Mm. So we, didn't, we weren't fully uh, cognizant of foster, of how difficult it was to foster uh, inclusivity for a new hire. Um, and I think that contributed to some right. of the friction. And I, we've taken, we've gone out of our way with the, the new, new hire to try to overcome that and, and, and do what we can to foster the camaraderie that you get from being in the office every day with people. Right. That, was, that was something that I, you know, definitely was not anticipating and, and couldn't have. Um, but something to keep in mind going forward if these things happen more frequently. Speaking of your practice, share with the listeners all that your practice entails. There's so many new and exciting topics and matters that you are focused on. And so let's just hit the high notes of what you do and then get a little more granular about a day in the life with your law group. Yeah. Uh, so we, we founded in 2014 where, and it was primarily almost exclusively cannabis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colorado was the, basically the first state to allow uh, medical marijuana uh, in, at a commercial level uh, in 2010, 2014 rec was the first state to go legal for rec. And that's been my partner, myself, and our senior attorney. Uh, we spent our entire careers in it. I have a background in finance. Uh, so uh, very, and then in law school, I, I, I focused on intellectual property law and securities law. So mm-hmm. when I then went out on my own, cannabis space at the time was full of cannabis attorneys who were basically defense attorneys who all of a sudden thought they could practice corporate law. So me being a, you know, a fresh graduate, I was actually able to grab market share pretty quickly because I could talk about the Howey test and the USPTO and how to get copyrights. And, and so that was a, that really helps me. And so fostered this land grab, so to speak, and then basically was able to hire my best friend. Well, hires wrong where became my partner mm-hmm. in 19. Um, and, and he was actually the guy who got me into cannabis in the first place. So it was a mm-hmm. cool full circle. We now we, we've known each other since the first week of law school. So it's been, it's been awesome. 2016, very end of 2016, because of my securities law knowledge and just interest and proclivity for it, um, got into the crypto space. I uh, had some mm-hmm. clients at IP, uh, sorry, ICOs, you know, that is, slowly but surely drawn my attention more towards the digital realm uh, where the firm's second biggest practice area now is crypto uh, and blockchain. Let me pause you one sec because we've thrown out a couple. I'm realizing now we're throwing out a couple of acronyms and some of my listeners will be extremely well-versed and some not at all. So you mentioned, we'll come back to this in a second, the Howey test that applies in cases of security to determine whether or not an investment contract exists. We'll talk a little bit about that later. You mentioned the PTO, so that's the Patent and Trademark Office that is focused on your intellectual property 
practice. Um, and we see that being extremely relevant now in the NFT space. We're talking about creatives and collectibles and, and things of that nature. And then you mentioned ICO. So going back to the security stuff with initial coin offerings, that big boom kind of at the end of 2017 into 2018, and everybody throwing up a white paper and a website and saying, you're going to 100x if you buy my Squadcast coin. And lo and behold, like 99.9% of those were unregistered security. So I just want to kind of set the table there. You were saying the lead up to how you expanded beyond cannabis, and that appears to be your primary practice, but also this really robust and growing practice around cryptocurrencies. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for the longest time, it was it was cannabis, and it was cannabis followed by hemp and CBD. Then it was cannabis, hemp, CBD, crypto, blockchain. Now it's cannabis, crypto, blockchain, hemp, CBD. So, and my personal billable hours are are now heavily skewed to the, the blockchain space, the crypto space, and it, and also that is sort of percolated into just regular securities work that. We had been doing for cannabis clients that you know, we kind of honed in the crypto space, but now we also are, to much to my uh, my happiness, uh, we are now doing a lot of traditional securities work as well, um, which is great because I can tell you that I wouldn't be able to do the things that I do this soon out of law school mm-hmm. uh, if it hadn't been for this unique path that I have taken. Not trying to toot my own horn by any sense here, but no, yeah. Kind of a, you know, baptism by fire type thing. And it's it's actually ended up being exactly what I wanted to do. It was a long, circuitous route to get there, but uh, it is the kind of law that I always wanted to practice. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. So tell me more about what draws you to securities law and also to intellectual property. You know, I'm an IP lawyer and professor as well. I never took one single, I wanted to, I tried hard, but I didn't take entertainment law and I didn't take IP as a survey course at the time. It wasn't nearly as prominent as it is now, kind of dating myself, but it was certainly there and, and certainly what we would consider to be an emerging topic, like environmental law. IP, those like were emerging issues. What brought your attention and focus and, and passion for those two areas specifically? Uh, well, securities is easy to answer. Uh, I, before law school, I had a small career in uh, investment banking, worked for Merrill Lynch right during uh, the meltdown. So I got mm-hmm. to see all that happen from the back end. Uh, and I knew Lehman Brothers was going to uh, fail like two weeks before uh, the rest of the market, they stopped answering margin calls to the two wow. five or six billion dollars a day. Uh, so that was that was fascinating. And, and um, basically, uh, a buddy of mine and I saved Merrill Lynch uh, three point seven billion dollars in credit exposure in the course of a month just through, through, through some very uh, basic programming that we we linked some things that weren't talking together together. So yeah. I got a thousand dollar bonus 
uh, no raise, no promotion. <laughs> so it was like, I'm out of here. I'm going yeah. to the, which was the original plan anyway. Uh, but it, it, it kind of hooked me. The, 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 the capital markets hooked me. So that was a, a focus of mine through law school. Then IP, it developed in law school. Uh, I got very into the music scene in Denver. That just being in law school and, and going to, to concerts every weekend and writing about concerts for music blogs, mm-hmm. uh, that just, that sucked me right in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then initially I was, had thought maybe patent work would be interesting. And then I found out that I would have had to have had a technical degree in college. Mm-hmm. So that was quickly off the table. And so just dived into the kind of IP work that I, that I knew I would be able to practice. Um, I was fortunate enough to have, first he was a, a, a intern for him at a firm, but then he started teaching a class at, the, at Denver University. Mm-hmm. His name is Dave Ratner. He's a great intellectual property lawyer, has a focus on music. So I uh, learned an incredible amount from him. And, uh, you know, when I graduated, it's not like Denver is really the hotbed of securities law or <laughs> intellectual property law. You got to right. go to New York or, or San Fran, basically. But because it was the hotbed of cannabis mm-hmm. and no one knew how to apply those concepts in cannabis, I got to do stuff very similar to what I would have been doing if I had been you know, right out of the gate. I've been like a senior associate at a big firm. So right. it was truly this once in a lifetime opportunity uh, to kind of jump in and do the, the really important big stuff right away. And it was terrifying, but it was, <laughs> uh, it was very stimulating too. Yeah. It's important for, you know, immediately I think of my students and particularly in this economy and the uncertainty in the job market, the unbelievable and, and unending stress of it all, just law school in general, then put on top of it a pandemic and then, you know, graduating into this space, all the uncertainty, it's like you can't check off all the boxes and do this and then your clerkship and then the and big law and then, you know, hang your shingle or go into government work or something like that. It's just a whole new world and it requires a certain level of, well, a lot of leaving space for the unknown, but just doubling down on the skills and the skill sets developed to practice and be practice ready coming out of law school. There's some law schools that are formidable on paper and in terms of their influence, but may be stuck in an age that is not ready to really create that law student who's going to hit the ground running. Oh yeah. This, you know, <laughs> most of them just don't do it. So when you think about the skills that you developed in law school that made you ready to do what it is you're doing, what are some of those that you think that, you, you know, I don't know everything, but I can do X, Y, and Z. And that is why I could hit the ground running. That is a great question. I, I, people talk about love, hate relationships with law school. I'm definitely mm-hmm. on the hate side. <laughs> One of my professors, who I actually didn't like very much, put it perfectly that, uh, you know, early in the uh, 20th century, Medical schools decided they wanted to produce doctors and law schools decided they wanted to produce professors. So, yeah, uh, (laughs) that was that was apt. I think that um, it did finally teach me how to write to a certain extent. uh, I then ended up learning even more out of law school, but I thought I was a good writer going into law school and absolutely was not. Then there was a couple of individual classes, um, specifically like some of these advanced contracting classes that I took that right. really had a practical focus. 
I mean, I learned more in that class than I learned in almost the rest of law school combined. Yeah. Uh, and then there is something to be said for thinking like a lawyer. I mean, they, they, it's it's kind of, you know, it's, it's trite and everybody says it, but I do think there is, as taken as a whole, the law school experience really does force you to reassess how you look at risk and how mm. just think about problems. And so I think that general component of it was definitely invaluable. But then getting out to kind of loop it to your, your final question about hitting the ground running, you know, I, I, I don't know what the answer to that is. I, I think it was necessity because quite mm. frankly, I didn't get a job in a big law firm and I was kind of put out there and just had to sink or swim. Right. Um, and I had, I was fortunate enough to have um, a little support from my parents. They, they paid for well, a lot of support. They paid for my rent for the first year. I mean, that was, mm-hmm. and I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't been so, so fortunate there, but I was making nothing. I was making like right. absolutely zero uh, at first. And then, you know, it was just a true entrepreneurial. What can I do? How can I get confident in something? And that meant, you know, all nighters. And right. uh, I mean, I, I remember I had to have a client drive me to Pueblo, Colorado for a um, application uh, submission because I had literally worked for 36 hours straight um, and didn't feel like I could safely drive down there. Right. Uh, so, you know, a lot of, I think I aged a lot in those first uh, <laughs> We hope you're enjoying this edition of Tech Intersect. Our conversation will continue in a moment, but first, a word on an exciting opportunity. There's a more cost-effective and time-efficient way to reach your leading-edge learning and earning goals, to put you ahead of the stiff competition in this fast-paced, tech-driven economy. You need skills, credentials, and a fast track to a competitive advantage. You need it now more than ever, and I can help. The Advantage Evans method puts you ahead of the curve with condensed comprehensive online courses, curated content to leverage your current skills and expertise, live coaching, networking opportunities, and more. Upcoming courses include From Cash to Crypto to help you buy your first Bitcoin, and there are two ways to get your advantage. Advantage Evans Encore gives you maximum experience for your total competitive advantage and access for one year. It includes a live welcome and modules on terminology, buying and selling, exchanges, mining, earning crypto, trading and investing, and also several of the legal issues you need to know in order to be safe and secure as you enter this space. That includes tax compliance, how to plan for a Bitcoin estate, and securities laws to make sure you avoid any legal unforced errors. Now, Advantage Core gives you the essentials. It's a short course to give you what you want and the support you need to buy your first crypto in as little as three weeks with access to the information and replays for three months. And if you're not quite ready for your Advantage and want a sneak peek to try before you buy, then register for a free masterclass where I share my Crypto 101 success checklist and cover current hot topics in crypto. So there truly is something for everyone, including you, to get in on the fast track and learn and earn in the digital economy. Visit AdvantageEvans.com to get started. That's AdvantageEvans.com. And now, back to the conversation. There you go. Well, you are wearing it well and you're doing some amazing work. We're talking about hitting the ground running 
a lot of that happens when you have this emerging area of law and you're focused on two in particular, really interesting emerging areas. What are some of the, you know, what's like a day in the life? What are some of the issues that you're working through now? So many of them, at least initially, had to be cases of first impression. So that would be interesting for folks to hear. Without cannabis, I couldn't have done what I did uh, because it, it was it's what the one one of the only industries that I know of where every participant just knows they have to have a lawyer to do their transactional stuff. Right. Interesting. It, there are a couple like unicorns in the wild who maybe have gone a, you know, several years with uh, the regulatory agencies without a lawyer, but like they always end up having an issue. So that need baked in and that everybody agrees on was essential to basically getting my practice to where it was. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the lack of precedent was also incredible because you'd find yourself sitting across the table from uh, an attorney that probably had been practicing longer than I'd been out of, out of high school. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, this is how we do this and we're not going to budge on this. And well, Unfortunately, we can't do it that way. Here's why, and we have to do it my way. And so that that was a very weird dynamic to kind of get acclimated, uh, adjusted to. And right. and uh, but it also, rightly or wrongly, engenders a lot of confidence, which I think right. that and sort of snowballs into yeah, I can I can do this stuff that other firms. So this is now thinking specifically crypto. I can do this stuff these other firms are afraid of. Uh, not only. Do I know that I can do the research and figure out an answer? But also from a practical standpoint, all of my practice right now is on its face federally illegal. And so if these guys are <laughs> the grayness of crypto and oh, what's it gonna do to our insurance and oh what, you know, what's our what's our risk manager gonna say? And it's like, this is definitely a de-risk for me. So I'm jumping <laughs> away. Um, I never look back. It's uh, it is by far the most interesting area that I practice in. And it has allowed me to practice all over the world. I mean, cannabis was already kind of doing that because I had a lot of clients in Canada. But uh, the, the crypto stuff, um, you know, I've got clients in Thailand. I had a client in Vietnam, client in the Czech Republic, uh, all across the country. And then I learned a lot about uh, jurisdictional selection and, and entity formation in other countries. Right. Um, and something that I've always been fascinated about. And that has been, you know, fantastic. So I know uh, we, have, we have a trust in estates practice at, at my firm. And I like to joke that, you know, that, that our senior attorney basically runs it. It's, it's his baby. And I know like the very, very basic stuff about regular trusts. And right. I know like the top end asset protection elite stuff that you do offshore. And I know nothing <laughs> Uh, I can crawl and I can sprint, but I'm right. Like, Skydive, right. <laughs> uh, which has been just fascinating. And, and, you know, I learn, I mean, I literally learn new stuff every day. And, and you know, tax code is probably my least favorite stuff to look at, but it's becoming incredibly important uh, when we now have an LLM on staff, which is great. But yeah, so I still haven't answered your question. I'm sorry. Day in the life. Uh, I'm not going to give you a day in the life now because there is so much of it that is focused on like the admin and the business of running the firm. It's my yeah. It's not fun, but take that out of it. Uh, you know, it's dealing with regulators for marijuana at the state and local level. Uh, mm -hmm. It's dealing with FDA for, for CBD and hemp issues. And then it is dealing with uh, securities laws uh, and, and people who uh, you come from the tech side of things and are very much used to the ethos of move fast, break stuff, which is fine when you're dealing with software. 
I mean, it's even fine, clearly, when you're dealing with uh, stuff like transportation. Uh, a, a common thing I tell people is, if you'd walk into a lawyer's office in 2007 and said, I want to build a company that gives its users the ability to summon third-party vehicles to where they are standing and then getting rides in strangers' cars, lawyers would have given you really good reasons why you couldn't do that. And it would good have been- Good reasons, solid, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and, you know, and, and, and they innovated and, and Uber got big enough. And yeah, they broke a lot of laws and they paid a lot of fines. But there was a drop in the bucket. So that's the ethos that people come to crypto with. And right. I get what I try to sort of impress upon them is that when the underlying subject matter is financial in nature, the risks and the oversight go up exponentially. Absolutely. And um, that's that's right now because that, that that is probably the most common conversation that I have with people. No, you can't do that. No, you can't take money from people like that. No, you I, I know that people are doing it anonymously through DeFi and you know they're they I understand like because I, I personally use DeFi, I'm a DeFi degen, I'm on uh, uh, Telegram all, all nights, all hours of the night and day. Yep. On new finding new projects, but like when I when I have to talk about it from a professional standpoint. It's okay. You're an American citizen. You're you want American um, users, and these are the rules you're going to have to follow. And if you don't, these are the things that could happen to you. And then, right. then, the, then, then the response is, well, you know, Uniswap's doing it. Compound. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> right. it's like, well, when you were young, did your mom tell you if you cross the bridge, you should you should maybe not do that? And then I then I follow it up with a with a real world example. We have a client who. Uh, we represent and have represented for many years. And he was uh, indicted in 2019 for the uh, unregistered sale of securities amongst mm -hmm. other things. Now these are things that we did not represent him on and told him not to do. Uh, but when when he went, when the indictment was unsealed, uh, he'd been under investigation since 2014. Wow. And this, this was uh, a gentleman who was very outspoken about this and was on YouTube and right. Facebook and telling people all sorts of stuff that he shouldn't have been doing. Um, and it took that long for the prosecutors to feel comfortable enough to bring a proceeding. So when you have this sort of DeFi uh, or, or also to an extent the NFT world sort of mm -hmm. um, less flamboyant, uh, let's say, like less, less. Um, In some instances. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but maybe maybe keeping a lower profile is a better way to say that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that that there's a file on Uniswap and Ave at uh, FinCEN, Treasury, DHS, uh, probably FBI and CIA, and uh, it's it, it just a matter. These things are just they're they're accruing information, and whether and, and blockchains are a great place to accrue information as well. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's well, the easiest way to follow the money. I yeah. don't understand why this is not understood. Yeah. I, so people say, oh, the IRS doesn't have the ability to do this stuff yet. And it's like, I agree with you. They don't. <laughs> when they do in like two or three years, they'll see everything back to the Genesis block. And, you know, what are you going to do at that point? <laughs> right. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. I'm mindful of your time. And I had one final question that I wanted to ask about specifically where your two worlds come together. Well, two of the three worlds come together in a really interesting way now securities and non-fungible tokens specifically in the in the art and collectibles space and seeing so many in and I guess entertainment as well so entertainers who are 
we've left the land of ICOs, but some aspects of I'm going to mint XYZ and some of those projects are starting to look a little ICOE, <laughs> a little initial coin offering like. And so I'm wondering your thoughts on potential red flags. This will be the educational part of this episode. What are some things that people should specifically, if they're minting NFTs or collecting or promoting, what are some of the things they should be aware of? to steer clear of unregistered securities and what a security is, I guess we should just. And so used to having everything in front of them right away that we forget that innovation just takes time. I, I, myself, I get frustrated too. Why? And you know, this is being one of my best friends is, Hey, I talk to you all the time. Hey man, I'm frustrated in the fact that I can't, seem to just get there in mm-hmm. the next day. But that's just not how these things work, right? Innovation needs to be planned out. It needs to be very methodical. And then when it finally hits, that's when it seems like to everyone else that it, it sort of just came out of nowhere. But to you, you know the amount of dedication that it took over that time. The definition of a security for you know very broad level is when you have an investment of money into a common enterprise where the efforts, where the profits are to be derived by the efforts of others. That's the how, standard Howey test. Um, I actually don't see, there are a couple projects that are clearly securities in the NFT world. The Anything that's combining uh, NFTs and then tokenizing them, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing, or maybe even pooling money to buy uh, NFTs. Um, but the, like the, the DAOs, there have been seeing some DAOs. Yeah, oh, DAO, DAOs are, are great. They're fascinating. I love them. They're scary as hell from a lawyer standpoint. Right. There are so many things that they can run afoul of uh, as far as inadvertent investment companies. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a big conversation we're having with people right now. It's like if you're deemed an inadvertent investment company, you're, all your contracts are invalidated. You can't uh, engage in interstate commerce uh, and the fines are out the wazoo. So you know, then you have to basically wrap the DAO in some sort of entity. And then that raises some other questions because there are limits on the number of shareholders you can have. There's a, a limit of 99 accredited investors for a, 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 three, a 3C1 exempt um, mm-hmm. type company. Uh, and then you have just the general requirements. Um, if you have five, more than 499 investors uh, who are not accredited, that company is now subject to the public reporting requirements as any public company would be. And right. if they were all accredited, if you have more than 1,999 uh, investors, that is also subject to um, the reporting requirements. So when you have these DAOs that have a couple thousand people in them and they, they're attempting to get around some of the risks of general partnership by structuring them in an entity, you then have these other risks that stem from laws that were created in the 30s and 40s. And yeah. so there's this, this, this I, 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 I say to people, there is a lot of medium-term pain coming. And so mm. short-term, nothing's happening because the regulators haven't gotten up to speed. Long-term, the laws will change and there'll be some sort of universally accepted way of doing this. In the medium-term, when people find regulators shoehorning them into old uh, regulations, that is where we're going to see significant pain and right. potential, you know, potential criminal charges in some cases. And not that anybody's intentionally doing anything wrong, but like some of this stuff is strict liability. Right. Um, so, you know, 
ignorance of the law is no excuse, right? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very, very, very fraught, but it's also incredibly fascinating. So I'm, I'm very, very uh, passionate and have a lot of ideas on how to, how to structure DAOs in the short term. We, we, we create, I think I've created a new entity type that only will work for a certain type of project, but Mm -hmm. um, a group of individuals, they're basically funding um, the purchase of pizzas across the country. You're the uh, second person to mention this. That's so interesting. I think it was Alan. Alan, Alan is a part of it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Continue. It's like this. So they're called rare it's pizza. like a thing. Yeah. They're called Alan Hina. Okay. They're selling teas to uh, to generate funds. They're going to donate money to a bunch of pizza shops and, and try to buy. Like, so anybody whose orders come into those pizza shops on that day are paid for. And because of the unique focuses that they've had, I created an entity that you know I think accomplishes what they want, right. um, and and they they know that it's experimental and and they know that uh, it hasn't been done before. But you know it's it's moments like that when you get people who are willing to kind of push the limit and they understand the rim and believe me they understand the risks. I spent weeks <laughs> going over them with it, with them. but it's uh, it's coming to fruition and. Um, it's, uh, you know, it could be a way for a good majority of DAOs to operate. I'm really fascinated by that. So I want to have you back to talk specifically about DAOs. I think I mentioned um, when we first met, I'm the chairperson of the Maker DAO Foundation. And um, I my, to dissolve. I would love to. I would love to. And I'm, you know, I'm, you said you're a DeFi DGen. You had me at DGen uh, earlier. So let's come back and do something specifically around that because I have feel no shortage of questions about it. I have some really interesting ones myself as we are in this current iteration of DAOs, generally speaking, and where we go from here. I think that could be invaluable. So let's do that. And I'd love to offline connect around this topic too because I'm really, really excited about that. Awesome. Okay. So I think as if you didn't have enough clients coming your way, you may have a few more who would at least be interested in making the connection with you and and finding out more about your firm. So I will drop links in the show notes, but go ahead and let people know how they can connect with you and learn more about your practice. Yeah, uh, so you can uh, visit our firm at therodmanlawgroup.com. You can reach out by email for, it's uh, info at therodmanlawgroup.com. I'll let you put the, the phone number in the notes, but uh, sure. you know, that is one part where we're you know kind of very law firm-esque is that a lot of clients want to call. So uh, <laughs> you can reach out at, you know, at Rodman Law on Twitter and you know, we have a Facebook page and all that stuff. But uh, we also have RodmanLaw.crypto as a uh, decentralized page. Nice. Um, so, and then, then you could be our first, uh, for anybody listening or watching, you could be our first client to uh, come to us in our digital space. We have uh, the Rodman Law Group uh, at 2 Grant Avenue uh, in San Francisco in Crypto Voxels. All of our contact info is there. You can see our pictures. Um, my law school diploma is is up as an NFT. And as soon as we get a little bit more uh, free time, we're going to take some pictures of the other firm, other uh, lawyers' diplomas, and put them up as NFTs. Um, so that's been a really one of the more fun things that I've done. In, that's in amazing. The that is so exciting. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it might be a boondoggle, but like I, I've been thoroughly fascinated at the whole process. And uh, I do think that the metaverses really have some potential. 
Um, Absolutely. That is amazing. I have a million more questions, but I'm going to let you go now and we'll tee it up for a future time. And trust me, I have spent way more on far less interesting things. So I'm definitely going to start checking out. Uh, what is it? Is it crypto voxels? Crypto voxels. And then uh, you should be able just to jump on and type in the Robin Logger. But if for some reason that doesn't work, it's Two Grant Avenue uh, is uh, our address. And it's in San Francisco, the island of San Francisco. We, uh, we had a really, we worked with a really good builder named Ogar. So people who are listening here in the space, they'll, they'll, know, they'll know who he is. Um, awesome. But I highly recommend him. He was super professional and really walked me through the whole process and built a really cool facility. Awesome. I think One Off has their gallery on CryptoVoxels as well. So I'm going to, my summer is already fully booked and this is on it as well. Dave Rodman, sir, such a pleasure. I always enjoy when we connect and have these awesome conversations. And thank you for all that you're doing in the space, not only to educate, but you really are in, you know, you're charting new areas that people can engage in these emerging areas in a way that's safe, legal, and compliant. And you're really protecting the space. Um, your advocacy is excellent on all sides. And so I appreciate you and uh, continue success to you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for, for having me. I really enjoyed getting to know you and uh, be happy to chat with you anytime about anything. Clearly, there is no shortage of interesting, challenging, and at times confounding issues in cannabis and crypto. Be sure to reach out to Dave if you're in need of an attorney to navigate through the rough waters of building and operating in industries that, quite frankly, haven't fully defined the legal landscape either regionally or nationally and certainly globally. The technology doesn't exist in a vacuum and ignorance of the law is often no excuse, especially as Dave said, when strict liability applies. Get the facts, get focused, get a lawyer, <laughs> and then get moving. Okay, before we sign off, please take a moment to like, comment, and share this episode and this podcast with your networks. Follow me on social media and let me know what topics you'd like to hear more of and who you want to hear from. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine. Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media on Twitter at at Tech Intersect and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.